Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, good evening. You are very welcome to The Tonight Show. More than a million people's energy bills are about to skyrocket after Electric Ireland increased their electricity and gas prices. The government is coming under more pressure to intervene. So the government will be bringing forward a budget in a number of weeks' time that will have at its heart measures that can assist, that can help. The Minister for Health says his failure to register a property with the Residential Tenancies Board was a mistake. As soon as I discovered it, uh, we contacted the RTB. They said to uh, backdate it online. Uh, that was done. And later we take a look back at the biggest stories we have been talking about this week. Do join the conversation as always online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, VMTV. We begin this evening with another huge energy price hike that will affect millions of you around the country. This time, it's Electric Ireland ramping up their bills. From the 1st of October, electricity will be more than 26% higher and gas is going up a whopping 37.5%. The increase will impact around 1.1 million electricity customers and 150,000 gas customers. Uh, let's bring in David Kerr. He is the CEO of Bankers.ie and he joins me now via Skype. Uh, thank you for joining us this evening. It really feels like this is the second wave of price increases coming from our utilities company. This one really significant and we're not going to see it in our bills, are we, for another couple of months. But when we see it, we will notice it. We'll notice it in a very big way. And in fact, today's increase by Electric Ireland to their 1.1 million electricity customers and 150,000 gas customers, what that means is that this winter, this November, for example, our bills will be double what they were just one year ago. Electric Ireland uh, announcement today is their third price increase this year, in fact, and their fifth in the last two years. So this is very bad news for all of the electric car and customers for both electricity and for gas. But they're not the only ones. Of course, last Friday, we saw SSC Electricity increase their prices. And we've seen a number of different price increases this year, in fact, 50 in the last two years altogether. So bad news for all of Ireland's uh, gas and electricity customers. And when you say bad news, what exactly is it going to cost each and every one of us affected by these price hikes? Well, this time last year, the average electricity and gas customer combined would have paid about €2,100 for their entire year's worth of gas and electricity. This year, it's going to be over €4,000, €4,069, in fact, um, just for the same amount of gas and the same amount of electricity for the average household. So double. And the real difficulty, I suppose, for people is there is so much uncertainty now. I mean, we can have no confidence, can we, that this is the last hike for the foreseeable future? 
And the biggest confusion is customers saying, well, where should I go? What should I do? I'm with one company. Should I go to another company? Will they just increase their prices? The sad truth is, yes, everybody is going to increase their prices. All suppliers will increase their prices. In fact, all eyes turn to the ones who haven't yet moved since earlier in the year in about April time. And we're waiting to see what those companies will do. But there are things that customers can do. So the market works on the basis of a discount. That discount is fixed. It doesn't change for the period of time that you have that contract. That's most likely to be one year. So if you aren't in a discount period, if you haven't switched your tariff in 12 months or more, then you're paying standard rates. And they're the rates that have skyrocketed today. Gas up 47% unit rates by Electric Ireland. Electricity up 38% also Electric Ireland on the unit rate alone. So get a discount. It's free to get. If you haven't switched in over 12 months, get a free discount and that will last for 12 months. So that's what consumers can do. What other interventions could we see? For example, those that have been suggested um, by Ursula von der Leyen this week as the uh, moves the EU make, make. Well, the EU is constructing a package of measures that will include, for example, they're talking about windfall taxes. Uh, they're talking about, well, we've already seen a reduction in VAT from 13.5% to 9%. That's due to be reversed. Probably shouldn't be reversed. Could, in fact, be deepened. Uh, GB market, for example, um, had VAT on energy bills at just 5%. They're also talking about the change to marginal pricing, and that's the pricing that sets the cost of electricity for the whole market. It's based on the most expensive way to generate electricity. In fact, currently, that is gas. And Electric Ireland today in their announcement pointed to the wholesale gas rates uh, having increased more than 700% um, in the last 12 months as a massive, massive uh, participant in their requirement, they say to increase the rate so, so highly today. So all eyes are going to be on the EU in the next few days to see what packages they actually implement. All right, David Kerr from Bunkers.ie, uh, thank you for joining us. Well, let's get more with my panel here in studio. I'm joined by Pat Leahy, political editor at the Irish Times, former minister Shane Ross, who's currently writing a memoir about Mary Lou MacDonald, Green Party TD Stephen Matthews and Senator Lynn Boylan of Sinn Féin. You are all uh, very welcome to the programme. Uh, Shane, the scale of the increases are eye-watering. They really are, particularly when you put it into context and you think that you could be paying exorbitant rent, maybe your mortgage has just gone up. Every time you go to your do your food shopping, you're seeing it at the till. It's really difficult for people. And there's a lot of fear out there about this winter, isn't there? Well, they're entitled to be frightened that, because this is a real case for government intervention. This is a case where people can't do it on their own. There's nothing really that the people who are suffering from this can do without government intervention or European in intervention or depending on someone else. And, you know, what, what we're arguing about, I suppose, now with the government is what sort of intervention, how big is it going to be? What principles are they going to act upon? And I suppose the most important one is this, that those who are the most vulnerable get the most subsidy and most help. There are people, not very many, who can afford these types of increases. They can't get it. But you're, you're talking about a catastrophe where people just won't be able to pay this. People just won't be able to pay, pay their bills. They, they will actually basically bankrupt them if they have to pay them. So the, there is absolutely no option here but for the government to move in and pay very, very large sums of money in the hope that this will be temporary. Because the effect of this stretches beyond the consumer. It goes to the business. It goes, it, 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 it's now invaded business habits. It's going to be more remote working, maybe. Employers trying to pursue 
trying to push uh, employees into working at home. People from home and, and wanting to... And people just watching every single penny Correct. that they're spending. Because the employers don't want to spend confidence. electricity at work and they themselves want to go to work to save electricity. Um, Stephen, this isn't sustainable, is it, for your average person? And yet the government has repeatedly said we cannot cushion everyone against the scale of these increases. To what degree can they cushion people? The scale of the increase is frightening. Shane is, is right on that. It's massive. Uh, it's not surprising. We knew this was coming. Uh, it, this happens all across Europe. We're looking at the energy prices all across the Europe, every country in Europe. We're not alone in this. It, it will require government intervention and there will be government intervention in the to upcoming what scale, budget. To what degree? I think that's what people really want well, to know. Well, if you now. look at what we've done over the last 12 months in the 2.4 billion package, the cost of living package that was introduced across a range of measures, we've got to look in and around those measures again, those targeted measures. But I suppose, Stephen, those for a lot like, of people, you know, the 200 euro energy credits, yeah. that now when you're looking at bills that have gone from 2,000 to 4,000 sure. in a year, it's quite insignificant at this yeah. point, isn't it? It'll have to be more than that. Would you agree? I think it'll have to be measures like that and more measures like that as well. So we're going to have to see those energy credits as well. I also want to stress the fact that the CRU is working on extending the moratorium on disconnects. Nobody should go cold this winter and nobody should fear disconnections. And that's a really important message to get out there. But at the, the end of the moratorium, will, you're going to be faced with this massive Government, bill. well, and flexible payments because bills will rack up. But nobody should fear disconnection and nobody should have to go cold. But government will intervene to the extent that we can. But this is a pan-European problem. This is caused mainly by the Euro uh, Ukraine war situation. We will do everything we can what? and we are to try and cushion people from Okay, what about, uh, Stephen, a lot of people, a lot of opposition today talking about the potential for a price cap. We've seen it in Spain, we've seen it in yeah. France, and we've seen their governments subsidise people's gas and electricity uh, bills. Would you have any issue with that in principle? Well, I look at the UK uh, and they have pr set price caps and they've had to increase them and they have to increase them and they have to increase them. So if you're setting price caps and you have to increase, keep continually increasing, it's not working. The so whole you don't think price caps will work? Is that what you're saying? I, I, I've, I look at the UK model. And that's, a, that's close to us, and that's not working over there. They're increasing the price caps the whole time. Do you time. have difficulty with the whole principle, the theory, as a Green Party member, of subsidising people's use of gas or electricity? At this point, we're in a war situation in Europe. We have never seen anything this, like this before. Government has to act quickly and effectively. We have done in the last 12 months. So that's not why you're opposed to it? No. No, it's an ideological opposition to it. We've got to do everything we possibly can to help to intervene, to support people, direct supports, supports across the board, like the, the price, the uh, electricity credits, and direction at people who are most... In, you know, there's a lot more people falling into fuel poverty now yeah, and than yet, we would have seen before. Uh, Lynn Boylan, um, Pascal Johnny was speaking today. He said, look, it won't just be targeted measures notwithstanding the fact that that's been the recommendation from you know, many different bodies. He said there will be broad measures, measures that, by and large, will help every individual because most people, he said, are affected by this, are really being hit in the pocket. Do you agree with that? Well, I think it, it, what's most annoying is that the, the talk of the EU reform of the market and the decoupling of the cost of renewables and gas was something that was floated back in October last year by a number of EU member states. And Ireland was actually one of the countries that objected to it. So we would have been eight months along that process if we weren't one of the member states opposing it. We now seem to have a U-turn in the government's position that they are now in favour of that, and that's welcome. But we've lost months at an EU level. And I know from my experience, 
experience there. Things move slow enough as it is. The other thing that uh, David was saying from, from bonkers.ie about switching, yes, switching will save you money, but 63% of customers don't switch. And in the energy poverty strategy of 2016 to 2019, it flagged there are barriers for reasons why people will not switch. It comes down to capacity, it comes down to direct debits, mandatory direct debits, or else uh, poor credit rating. Now, I asked the CRU at the committee this week, what are you doing? Where's the analysis you were asked to carry out back in 2016? And what are you doing to help those customers? Because it's all well and good telling people to switch. But if, okay. you, if you cannot get a company to take you on because you have poor credit rating or you can't, you're not in a position to, to take out a direct debit, you're stuck. OK, but just to go back to the, the original question, some of the measures won't be targeted. Are you OK with that? I think what we need to see is targeted measures to help the most vulnerable, but we are going to have to, to address the, the issues around small and medium businesses and a large proportion of households who just won't be able to cushion this, to take this blow, because what we're seeing in energy prices is frightening. Um, so we are going to so see... middle-income Ireland, as you would see it, well, are also I, suffering I think, and may need help. I mean, obviously you try not to, to benefit people who are in a position to be able to manage these bills, but the, the scale of the increases is going to affect more than just families who are eligible for fuel allowance. It's going to go right up right. Uh, to middle-income earners, yeah. Okay, now to other news, uh, Minister for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly. Well, he's under fire over an issue over one of his properties. Stephen Donnelly said failing to register a property with the Residential Tenancies Board was a mistake. And today he tried to clear the issue up further. As soon as I discovered it, uh, we contacted the RTB. They said to uh, backdate it online. Uh, that was done. Uh, and that is the same process that anybody has to go through who has missed renewal. Well, the three leaders of the coalition parties have come out in defence of the health minister. Here's what the Taoiseach said earlier. I haven't seen the content of the contribution. I think generally speaking, if people are contributing to Doyle Airden, and if they have a particular interest, they should declare that interest. Although, um, you know, it has been declared on the register of interests. Uh, and I guess the important point. Well, my panel is still here with me. Pat Leahy, first of all, uh, Owner Brynn was saying earlier today, look, if there's any further revelations, Stephen Donnelly, you're toast, basically. Are there going to be further revelations, do you think? Have you heard of anything? Well, if they are, <coughs> there'll be revelations to me as, <laughs> as well as to everybody, uh, everybody else. I think... Um, Ono Bryn was uh, giving voice to the general political consensus around this, both inside and outside government today, which is that if nothing else comes out, if there isn't a further drip drip of revelations, uh, as you term it about this, then Stephen Donnelly will probably survive. But if there are further, uh, if there are further revelations, if there are further things come to light that Stephen Donnelly should have done and didn't do and didn't bring them to our attention now, then I think he could be in trouble. He's got the backing of the uh, three leaders of the coalition parties, which is fine insofar as it goes, though one is Although Robert slightly, Troy had those at one point. Well, indeed, you? it's a, you're slightly minded of the, the board of the football club expressing uh, confidence in the manager. Um, uh, but I think he's probably OK unless there's further revelations. And uh, so, you so know, I suppose he'd be now, looking at papers over the coming days. Sunday papers and that if he gets through that, I suspect he's in the clear. Is the focus really, I suppose, on his contributions now on the dial floor and the calls that he made for those accidental landlords, as he calls them to sort of get better um, tax relief? Is the focus now on that and if he should, and if he should, why he didn't declare at that point that he was 
an accidental landlord. Is that where the focus is now going to go? Yeah, he's, he's, he's got an issue there. So he's speaking on the floor of the doll, as you say, in support of accidental landlords. He later declares that he is an accidental landlord himself, and he's correct that those properties were available for public inspection in the register of interests. But as the Taoiseach said, you should still make that declaration when you're on your feet in the doll. It's simply not good enough to speak out in support of a private interest and then say to people, well, you know, my interests were declared in the register of interests, as if people watching doll debates have an open book of the, uh, of the register of interests. You to possibly keep an eye. do. Oh, only very, only very occasionally. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just want to look at a comment um, that Stephen Donnelly did make today when he was asked about um, speaking on the doll floor about rental relief for accidental landlords, but not declaring at the time that he was one. Here's what he had to say. We all use the healthcare system. So, you know, should, should we declare that we are, you know, beneficial recipients of the healthcare system? We all pay tax. Uh, many of us, I, I, I've lobbied for increases in child benefit and, 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 and many other things. Stephen, is it the same thing, do you think? Um, I, I think we should always declare our interests and, uh, and be, be upfront about it. And I would often, you know, if I was in any debate situation, say I have experience or I've worked in this area or, you know, I have an interest in this. So I think it's, uh, I don't think it's practical to do it in every single doll debate. I just don't really think it's practical to do it. I think Stephen Donnelly has admitted he made a mistake in not registering uh, the tenancy he, he explained that. Uh, I know it was registered previously. I think it was registered twice previously, but he failed to re-register it. Uh, and uh, just general, I think politicians just need to be uh, act better and just set better example. But he's admitted the mistake and I think it's time to move on with it now. Well, let's bring in uh, John David from Transparency uh, International Ireland. He joins me via Skype this evening. And we hear Stephen Matthews saying, you know, politicians need to do better but politicians, haven't they been told repeatedly for the last number of years by SIPO that they need to do better? There have been a number of recommendations made, John. You might bring us through those recommendations and what has happened with them? Yeah, well, it, it, it's not just the Standards and Public Office Commission that has been issuing these guidelines or calling for or recommending compliance with the Ethics Act, with, which have been in place since 2001 uh, in, their, in their current form. Uh, the Committee on Members' Interest publishes guidance for members of um, both the Dáil and the Shannon. makes it crystal clear that members of the Dáil and the Shannon must disclose property holdings uh, with a value of uh, more than €2,600. Uh, so there's no excuse really for not disclosing uh, any property interests here. Uh, the Standards of Public Office Commission, ourselves, and indeed the government itself committed to uh, introduced reforms to the ethics acts back in 2011, 2012, uh, in, in, in general election 2011, uh, and on the back of the findings of the, the Mahan Tribunal um, final report in 2012, which called for stiffer penalties for, for more proactive disclosure of financial interests, including liabilities and loans, and uh, the introduction of criminal penalties, which already apply uh, to members, for example, of Fonbor Planala, who failed to, to disclose a registrable interest under the Planning and Development Act. So uh, promises have been made for a long time. It's not, as I say, uh, just the Standards of Public Office Commission that have been calling for this. The government committed to this, published a bill in 2015. It sat on the order paper for the best part of five years. Um, it was sat upon by the uh, Finance Committee uh, from 2017 to 2020. And despite 
um, the pleading of the then Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Pascal Donoghue, uh, to pass the legislation. The committee did move it. Um, and and it, while we, we might, uh, while the, the government did, needs to be held to account for, for any failures on its part, uh, politicians from across the board, both opposition and government, uh, need to be held responsible for the delays and passing much needed reforms. Uh, we've called for the reintroduction of the public sector standards bill. To give her credit, Ray Farrell, Sinn Féin has also done the same. And we need to see uh, urgent action uh, to reform legislation that's over two decades old. Uh, Lynn, is there no appetite within Donald Aaron to uh, look at this issue? No, well, I think it benefits all politicians to have proper transparency because I think that the problem is when a politician is found out, in this case, Stephen Donnelly or Robert Troy, um, is that or then... Or indeed your own or, politician, Johnny Exactly, Burke, yeah, right? I mean, on the, with the RTB, absolutely. But it, it reflects badly on, on politics and, and undermines the trust that people have in it. So I think it's really important that we have got reform of the ethics law. But I would disagree with Stephen. I think if you have a material interest in if it's tax policy or you're arguing for legislation that's going to benefit you in some way, not... A commercial interest. A commercial interest, then you should declare it, and you should declare it in the Dáil, but you should probably also declare it if you're doing media debates as well, because it's not realistic to expect the public at home to be going and doing their own research then to find out about politicians. Uh, Shane Ross, you wrote a, a column this week in the Sunday Independent. You said there's no standards in public office in Ireland. What do you mean by that? I mean that what I was saying there, and I think it's, it's very applicable now that we've got Stephen Donnelly in trouble, was that the ultimate outcome of the fate of Robert Troy and Stephen Donnelly and everybody else, it rests in the hands of politicians. They are deciding. The reason Stephen Donnelly will survive is because he's got the support of the three-party leaders. The reason Robert Troy went down was because he didn't have in the end. And that, that, those are the standards. It's how much your political clout and how much your political weight is. It's not what you did and what you didn't do. And, and could I just take up... So uh, different standards, you're saying, apply to different people... Correct. ...depending on the politics Completely of the day. Completely different. But, you know, other people have got into trouble... Votes of confidence in the Doyle, they've been voted back. Uh, they've won the votes of confidence in the Doyle. Both Leo Varenka and, and, uh, and Simon Covey won that. That's the end of story. Those, that, those standards are the political standards. It's about matter of the numbers and the political weight you have. Could I just make one point about what John Devitt said? And I think it's really important. This, this whole area is a complete mess. It's a total mess. And he said something interesting, which I think is, he pinpointed one, one place where there's a real lack in the standards in the public office and in the declarations. Everybody has to declare their assets, or they're meant to, and they should do. Transparency is important. Why in the name of God don't they have to declare their loans? Loans are more important in this area than assets, far more important. Were, weren't because you this a member of a government, though, that I, sat I, on that legislation? I was indeed a, a member of that government, and it was always meant to be coming, and the minister never brought it before us. And what was what the minister of the fault? It wasn't the responsibility of anybody else at cabinet. Minister no. of Transport had nothing to had nothing to do with that that area whatsoever. But I have well, been pushed... John Devitt there said it's responsibility of all politicians it is who are in to be calling for this, it, and they're not. It, it is indeed, and maybe I should have interfered with somebody else's somebody else's portfolio pad again, which you always criticise me for doing. Every well, time I, I would have praised you time, in this instance. I, every time yeah, I got involved in justice, you said, change. go back and worry about transport. Sorry, okay, now you're is, telling is me that, I didn't get involved with something else. Is that go not on. a fair point, Stephen? But, but What's loans, the difference? I just finished the point on loans. Sorry, Kira. Yeah, but I just it's so important. It's not just the banks that they owe to it. It's if they owe to individuals. If they borrowed money from someone, they're right in, in debt with, to them. It's more important than assets.
Yeah. I, I just want to pick that, that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, everybody I agree, actually yeah. would yeah. agree yeah. with that you point. You have a lot more leverage but, applied to over a loan than you can uh, over Stephen, an asset. Stephen, there is a good point there. Eamon Ryan withdrew his support of Robert Troy. Right. Initially he gave it, then he withdrew it. Mm. What's the difference between his honest mistake, honest error and Stephen Donnelly's? Well, he didn't like withdraw his support. He's, you know, he made the comment on radio that you know, SIPO, everybody knew should what be... was going to happen after that. Okay, yeah. but it's important to clarify. He didn't withdraw his support. He said there should be an investigation by SIPO into that. And I think Robert Troy had agreed that he was open to that and to make a dull debate on it. Uh, what's the difference in this one? Um, so, you know, to my knowledge, uh, Stephen Donnelly declared all of this on his SIPO returns. What he failed to do was to register uh, a live tenancy. So I think there's there's a difference in that there. And it was one, uh, one tenancy that we're talking about here. The, the difference between the two at this point is that Stephen Donnelly hasn't made as many mistakes as Robert Troy made. Yes. So this but is a single mistake as opposed to multiple mistakes. Maybe but it's, it part maybe of it's two mistakes rather than several mistakes. But if he, if more mistakes come to light, then the situation will change. I agree with Shane to a point. There is a certain degree to which the political gravity of the person at the centre of, of these sort of controversies does matter. But ultimately, politics is fluid and the situation could change for Donnelly. I don't expect necessarily that it will, but the, but the situation, the ground could go from under Donnelly if the facts change. Yeah, Do you think this is a resigning matter, matter, Lynn Boylan? No, but I think if there is more information that comes out, I think then his position would be untenable. What I would like to see, though, is that the RTB start to enforce its own uh, legislation because it is the law to register with the RTB. Um, and I think that when you look at the number of prosecutions that the RTB have had, they're very, <coughs> very small. And I certainly think that not just for politicians, if, if fines of up to €4,000 were starting to uh, come into effect, I think a lot of landlords would be registering very quickly. What about the wider issue? Do you have any issue with a politician in Leinster House working on legislation being a landlord? No, I think it needs to be declared and upfront. I, I mean, there's questions about the number of landlords that are in the doll and how that's come about. I mean, and that's probably a legacy of, the, of particularly Fianna Fáil politics over the years and, and privatising or, or completely privatising our rental sector. Um, but what I think is really important for people is the transparency so that they know that when this person stands up in the doll or the Shannon, this is their background, this is their interests, and that that's, that's clear. And I think that that's the really important thing because, I mean, Do you the think landlords the today, but it could be private healthcare another day. Patly, you have a difficulty with our politicians being in there in Leinster House, but politicians being landlords, publicans, farmers, the list goes on and on. Or do you think that's a healthy thing? We used to say that the doll was full of teachers. Now it seems to be full of, uh, of landlords. Likely, and I think it's, um, it, it, we can't prevent people with professional backgrounds or business backgrounds or farming backgrounds or whatever coming into the doll. nor should we try to. The doll is full of people who elect them cognizant of their backgrounds. What we do need to make sure is that their interests are declared when they're, uh, when they're making contributions to legislation or when they're holding the government to, to account or when they, as part of government, are making decisions. I think, I think disclosure is the only true guardian of the public interest in this case. OK, John Devon, can I bring you back in there? Would you agree with that, that it's actually not about what your interests are, whether you are a publican, a landlord, whether you have shares in a company, whatever it is, it's that you declare them and perhaps you declare them on the floor of the dial on a regular basis so people are very aware of them. Is that the issue here? 
Well, well, it, it isn't really because they're already supposed to do that. It's an ad hoc declaration. Um, so they will register a an interest on an annual basis or if they update the register, they'll do that too. But if they have a specific uh, interest in a matter being debated or being voted upon, they, they're supposed to do that as well. Uh, I think it's worth considering. Um, firstly, looking at international guidance on this, the OECD publish guidance for, for, for office holders and public representatives on conflicts of interest and distinguishing between specific or particular interests and general interests. So everyone pays taxes. So it's understood that anyone can, can discuss or debate or vote on an issue around taxation. It's a different matter entirely when someone has a specific property holding, for example, or shareholding, and a vote or decision being made on the floor of the House or by a public official will affect that interest that they recuse themselves from either voting or debating that matter. Uh, the Canadian Federal Parliament uh, imposes or requires that um, as, as ministers of state recuse themselves from any debate uh, on the floor of the House there in the Houses of Parliament from debating that or voting on it. I think it's time for us to consider um, measures that would ensure that TDs leave the room, leave the House, if they have a specific interest right. in a particular matter to, 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 to restore public confidence in, in parliamentary politics. I think we need to look at all, all uh, possible measures and, all right. and international there's one, one final point on the, the changes to the ethics legislation that SIPO have been seeking for almost 20 years and have been ignored by successive governments, not just the one that Shane so uh, capably served in. And that's the power for SIPO to conduct its own investigations mm. on its own initiative. And not At present, wait for these they have complaints. to wait for a complaint. Mm. So it's essentially... But it's toothless, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's, it, I mean, it's not entirely toothless, but it is policed by politicians themselves, mm. by the media, or by interested members And, and also for politicians who have since left politics. I think that's important as All well, right. that they can be pursued. All right, Rick, we're going to take a break. My thanks uh, to Stephen Matthews and to Lynn Boylan. Shane and Pat will be staying with me because after the break, we're going to be looking through the biggest news stories of the week so far. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
been another busy week of news. When isn't it? So let's take a look at what caught our eye. Shane Ross and Pat Lee are still with me and I'm also joined by Dee Woods, radio presenter at Radio Nova. You're very welcome to the programme. Dee, uh, Pat, I'm going to start with you because we started the week here on the programme talking about the student accommodation crisis and this frantic search to try and find somewhere to live for the academic year. Leaving cert results coming out tomorrow and for a lot of people they will have a good idea whether or not they've got their course place or, you know, whether they're going or where they're going to be going to college. Uh, so that search for them will really begin in, in earnest and it's really going to intensify, isn't it? It's preposterously late for the results to, to come out. And while you can understand delays during the pandemic, I, I find it very difficult to understand how this process couldn't have been expedited. I know the difficulty... One of the difficulties that the Department of Education was experiencing was recruiting enough people to mark the exams. But, you know, we live in a market economy. I'm sure if the rates were attractive enough, they would have more people willing to do the, uh, to, to do the marking. That having been said, uh, yes, the scramble does begin in earnest. I'm sure for many people it's begun uh, already. It's going to be a real squeeze over the coming weeks as students. And we will hear, I'm sure, manifold stories of how students are faced with the, uh, faced with the option of either, you know, living several to a, a one or two bedroomed uh, apartment or commuting long distances uh, for those who yeah. can't afford it. And Dee, I was really struck this week when I listened to Simon Harris and I was out at UCD myself earlier week and they, you know, we're both doing the same thing, appealing to homeowners, mm -hmm. if you have a room, please consider renting it. And I thought that's the second time this year uh, the government has had to turn to people who own houses and say, have you got a room? The first was when Ukrainians started coming to Ireland and now for students. And it is all just indicative of a housing system that's really broken. A hundred percent. I mean, and there's people who are still wary of COVID and energy bills and things like that who potentially don't want anyone else in their home. Um, and if they're obviously near a college, that's an attractive uh, thing for, for young people to... to the rent, sorry, I was going to say was the um, the renter room. Uh, there's a lot of attractiveness in for homeowners to mm. get on board with this, but for college students, I mean, is there Ukrainian refugees are a very different bunch? Or do college students have a, have a bad rep? Do, are there homeowners who think I don't want to invite potential partying or late nights or someone I don't know? Who, who are they going to study? They're going to be quiet. Who's to say? I mean, I, I feel like they're already on the back foot in some sense. There's a bit of a. a, a yeah, and it's not the solution. It. It's not the solution for students. It's, I feel like it's scraping the barrel at a time that's very desperate. And college students, the results are out tomorrow. There's already pressure there. Do they need any more anxiety in their lives? Absolutely not. Um, I just want to move on, Shane, to um, the news this week also that Dara Cleary, who lost his job as Minister for State, has now reclaimed a position yeah. uh, over um, the resignation of Robert Troy. Is it proof... Do you think, given the conversation that we had in part one, that people are being wrongly ousted, do you think, from office? Good people. Well, Dara Cleary is a very, was a very good uh, TD and I think will be a very, very fine minister. I don't think anybody's any doubt about that. Uh, and I think it was widely anticipated that he was very harshly treated over Golfgate. Very, very harshly and probably wrongly treated. I mean, I think the facts of the matter were that he went there, just made a speech and went off because he was a friend of the family. Uh, and he, you know, the, the court case found, made certain findings, not about him, but about other people, which would probably indicate that there was an injustice done in that case. Uh, and he has been, he's, that has been recognised, obviously, by Michal Martin putting in as Minister of State. He doesn't have a place at the Cabinet, I don't think, which he did have before. 
Uh, but I think that's that, that that's coming up. But in some ways, you feel the wrong has been righted here. Well, I think it's recognised. It's come back. People make comebacks, but not normally as quickly as as quickly as that. And I I think it's fair enough to say that he, that he he should he should have been recompensed in this way and recognised. And speaking of comebacks, Patley, <laughs> Donald Trump. The question: Will he make his comeback? Will he not? Will this search and this discovery of classified uh, documents at Mar-a-Lago have any impact on him? Could it potentially be very serious? Could he be in trouble? Oh, I mean, he could. He could. He, is, he could be in trouble. Think. If I can just add one thing to what Shane said about the previous subject, was I, I don't think even Dara Kaliri is maintaining that he was wrongly ousted the last time. The, the last time. I think in hindsight, he's been seen as being harshly treated. But uh, I think what his return says more is that there are second acts in, 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 uh, in, Irish, in, in Irish politics. And as the price for malfeasance or mistakes seems to be increasing in Irish politics, perhaps at the other side of things, people are getting a chance, uh, a second chance, a chance to make a comeback. On the, uh, on the Donald Trump point, I think two things are going on. I think within the Republican hierarchy, there is a growing horror that they're going to be stuck with Donald, uh, with Donald Trump, with all these potential prosecutions hanging over his head as they head into uh, an electoral cycle. But I think for Trump's base, for the, you know, 30, 40% of people who will vote for him if he runs again, and that's where he starts from, I think nothing he does will affect their support for. Yeah. In fact, would you say quite the opposite? Because I think he's putting out the narrative that he's been victimised here, isn't he, once again? Yeah, I think this is the case. I, I'm sorry, I have to agree with a lot of what Pat said, which makes me... <laughs> I never saw you two go quite so well. Quite stressed, quite honestly. <laughs> but, uh, He'll be inviting I, me to lunch I, next. <laughs> I think the, 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 the fact of the matter is, yeah, you're right. He's being victimised in, in his own view. He's also playing to that particular gallery. And it's going to it's going to benefit if he's charged. He'll play the victim. He'll play the martyr, and it'll it'll almost undoubtedly it'll it'll certainly build up his base. The best thing Biden could do is pardon him in advance. It would take the wind totally out of his sails. Just and then you're say, no longer and then then he's no longer a martyr. He's no longer martyr. got a cause to fight for. But pro prosecutions and legal processes in the culture of the United States yeah. are not things that can be ignored. You know the wheels grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. And you know you could see an election campaign mm. running while there are legal processes taking place against him. It'd be a okay, terrible I, pity because he'd probably win. That's I, the problem. Just want to move on, uh, Dee, because there was awful, awful images coming from um, Pakistan mm. this week. Mm. Just incredible flooding, climate change playing out you know, right in front of our eyes, and people really suffering. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's so hard to watch, and it's just it's just like it, it just begs the question: What next? Who who's going to be next? Where is going to be the next big catastrophe, the disaster? Kids in the streets, and now there's fear of malaria, diarrhea, all these diseases, and it's it's only going to get worse. The death toll is only going to go up. Something like one in seven people in this country have been affected by this absolute. It's just like a horror story playing out in front of our eyes. Yeah, those images, I think, are just really quite. Quite incredible. Before we leave this part, Shane Ross, um, the death this week of Mikhail Gorbachev. Was he a hero or does it just depend on who you ask? Well, I, I was struck by an interview I heard with uh, Konstantin Gorbachev yesterday when he said exactly that. He said he's absolute hero to him as a Russian. Uh, but to other Russians, of course, he was quite, he was quite the obvious. It, I think in the views of most people in the Western world, he's one of the great heroes of the, of the last century. He, him and Mandela as international statesmen have done things which made a real difference 
where they left office, undoubtedly, with their country in a better, in a better place. Do you think... Now, he was reversed. His was reversed. Yeah, do you think Vladimir Putin has destroyed his legacy within Russia, Pat? No, I, I, I think when the history comes to have its view on him, it will be uh, a benign view. He can't be held responsible for what came after him. I mean, he was kind of ousted mm. by Yeltsin in the early 90s, and it was under Yeltsin rather than under Gorbachev, though Gorbachev got the blame from many, uh, uh, from many ordinary Russians, it was under Yeltsin that the wide-scale looting of the, uh, of the country's assets by what have now become the uh, Putin's billionaire oligarch supporters, that that took place. Mm. I mean, that may have been a consequence of the reforms that, uh, that, that, that Gorbachev began, but it was under the stewardship of Yeltsin. All right, we're going to leave it there, but there's lots more after the break as we continue our look back at the week's stories, including the Lord of the Dance has become Lord of the Big Screen. We'll have more about Michael Flatney's brand new film. panel are still here with me as we take a look through some of the stories that got us talking this week. And a story that certainly got us talking this evening is the Ireland women's football team, Shane. They won 1-0 against uh, Finland. Hopefully we can see the goal there from Lily Ag and kept our World Cup dreams alive. Great news. You can see the relief and the delight on their face. There. Is this a real coming of age, Shane, for yeah. this team as an international force? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is this is this is a full stadium in Tala. That's that's quite unusual. That's that's really quite fantastic to see that and to see. Yeah, because I thought it was interesting today. I heard was there almost like an appeal on the radio a couple of times today. If you have a ticket, if you have a ticket, yeah. please come along and support us. As if they weren't sure that they were going to get the support tonight. It, it, they got the support, and they got. And I must say this, and I, this is for Pat's benefit, that. Women's funding of sport started in a big way under the last government, all right? And it started, it, and this has actually been the impetus. Under you as Minister for Sport. Under Brendan Griffin as Minister for Sport. I'm not taking the credit for it at all. It was he who actually insisted that despite the fact, despite the problems in the FAI, despite everything else, that women's soccer should be increased in funding all the time because he saw the potential there and they were being treated extremely unfairly. And that was something which, which I think... Other people should be given credit for John Tracy, lots of other people. Vera Poe, obviously because she's she's she, she's led them there, should get the credit this evening. There are all sorts of people who put their backs into this and put their faith in the women. But the great credit goes to them themselves. The team, obviously, tonight, to those, yeah, the team uh, has just been phenomenal. Absolutely, and we've seen what's happened in England, haven't they? I mean, they waited a long time for f football to come home. And the lads couldn't do it, so they had to turn Certainly. to the ladies, let's be honest. That's right. Amazing. It's <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say it anyhow. OK, I want to move on to the uh, film release I've decided of 2022, uh, D. This is Michael Flatley's movie, Blackbird. We've waited a long time for mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. He's written it, he's directed it, and he stars in it. I am so excited about this movie. It, I, let's I, just show everybody a trailer at home in case they haven't seen it. You're the only one who can stop this. We've got to come back and fight. When are we going to get past this? I'll never get past this! You can't just hide from the world. Victor.
Joe Blackley. I believe you have something in mind. Fantastic. Pass me the popcorn, D. Well, you love the, it. Get the popcorn out now and go onto social media and read the reviews of that movie. They are hilarious. I think this is going to be the next Sharknado, which is one of the most successful movie franchises ever. Because I think it's going to be so bad, it's good. We're all it's talking about classic. it. It's all, we haven't even seen it and we're already talking about it and we're excited about it. Our movie reviewer in Radio Nova saw it last night at the Lighthouse. And his, Clint Dreberg, his one of his best quotes was, Michael Flatley has gone from toe tapping to toe curling. I'm not sure this was his intention for this movie to be so bad, but I think we will all look, go and see it and maybe more than once. I think kids will be in tuxedos, fedoras and tap shoes for Halloween costumes. <laughs> if not this year, then next. But my favourite review, and I think it came from um, Philip Nolan in the Daily Mail, he said, he's no longer Lord of the Dance, he's Lord of the Glance. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a lot of those looks, isn't there, Pat? I mean, well, I, I mean, we laugh here, I haven't even seen the movie. Are we just deeply, deeply cynical in this country about this sort of stuff? <laughs> well, Fair play to him, why not? I, I mean, I see it's, it's described in some quarters as, uh, as a vanity uh, project. But, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that's a... Disqualification. I mean, many great works of art uh, have arisen from the vanity of either the artists or the patrons. I mean, yeah. the, the Sistine Chapel was as a <laughs> result of was it Pope Sixtus's uh, uh, yeah, vanity, I'm you know. Saying. But, but I, I know also in the um, in, in the movies uh, in the movies publicity, uh, it says that it, it, it stars uh, amongst the other co-stars are um, are uh, Patrick, uh, Berger, Patrick Bergen and and Eric Roberts, who is. Julia Roberts' brother. Uh, so say that in brackets. No, they weren't able to get Julia, but they've got the next best thing, which is uh, is her brother. So you know, uh, I wonder is Michael's, Michael Flatley's next film going to star uh, Mick DiCaprio and uh, Festi De Niro <laughs> and Jimmy Clooney? Oh, wait to see it. Shane Ross, you're partial to a bit of drama yourself and a bit of vanity as well. And a bit of vanity. <laughs> I wasn't going to That's be the one to say it. <laughs> but you watch it, wouldn't you? Uh, of course, I would. I I, I think it's, I, you know, I think it's a great thing to knock. It's it's, it's easy vulgar, to knock, isn't it? It's it's a man coming out with vast sums of money and spending them on himself and his ego. That's what's happening. He's the filmmaker. He's the writer. He's the director. He's the producer. He's the hero. But he's the funder, and he's given lots of employment, and he's given lots of entertainment. Look at us all knocking him here today. And he's, you know, he's he hasn't done any harm when he's done this, and he's actually going to give a fair amount of pleasure. Let's yeah. let's no. let him go. We're, no, we're, in fairness, we're not knocking him. We're not knocking him. I could. You're I laughing at him, which is worse. You're ridiculing him. <laughs> I hope we're not ridiculed. I don't want to ridicule you, Michael Flatley. I think fair play. If you have it, what do they say? If you've had it, have it, flaunt it. Oh, he's, certainly, he's certainly yeah. flaunting it. Yeah. I think we'll all enjoy it. I mm. think we will yeah. too. Um, D, finally, Electric Picnic. Mm. Back this weekend after a hiatus caused by COVID. Is this the final return now? Is this normality complete? 70,000 people in a field having just one big party. Yeah, in the rain, unfortunately, the weather forecast is pretty dismal this weekend, but I, I don't think it'll dampen anyone's spirits. As you say, it's been a few years coming now with COVID and everything. And Electric Picnic is, it seems to be very unique in, in the sense that it's, there's just so much going on. It's, of course, there's music, there's something like 27 stages and venues to get into. There's theatre, there's spoken word, there's drama, there's stuff for mind, body, soul, food, and it, it, there's ev something for everybody and all ages. And and it's a rite of passage for a lot of young people too, isn't it? And they haven't had that over the last couple of years. I saw some on the train this afternoon with big bags packed and they were laden down. I'm sure there was rain gear in there somewhere, but just it's just nice to have something full of hope for a change. You know, it's been so many, so quiet for so long on the gig front. 
Well, this is the return they, they, they certainly have a lot of uh, big names, uh, Kira, in, including the uh, Irish Times Inside Politics podcast, uh, which mean, will be I'm appearing on, on Sunday morning. I'd <laughs> right. say straight I'd, to that. Tent. I'd say to a massive crowd. <laughs> they might be still awake yeah. from the night before. So. Um, apparently, a lot of the um, arenas within Electric this picnic this year are going to be cashless. And we saw what happened uh, this weekend at the Aviva. I'm sure we all saw that, didn't we? Three pints at the Aviva this Saturday. Last Saturday, not this Saturday. They're not going to do it again when the machines went down. There was chaos, but it was good fun for all those involved. If people come to the Irish Times Inside Politics okay. podcast, we might even give them three pints. <laughs> all right, we have to leave it there. My thanks uh, to our guests. Our programme is available as a podcast. Go over to Virgin Media 2 now for the group chat. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.